This is the Chillinois Podcast. You want to get high? Hey, Gator don't play no shit. You hear, you feel me? Gator never been about that. Never, never been about playing no shit. Today's podcast was recorded on Wednesday. I had to look at the calendar at around 4.20 p.m. because that's how we do it in Chillinois. Um, before we get into today's show, uh, I'd just like to promote an episode that we released today. It includes cannabis coach Haley, who started as a bud tender at Rise Dispensaries and segued into working for SCCS as a floater. SCCS, if you didn't know, is Shelby County Community Services. It's a nonprofit cannabis cultivator in the state of Illinois. So uh, again, she segued into working for SCCS as a floater for the cultivation team and a joint roller. She currently runs uh, or she currently works for Equilibria CBD. And so if you want to catch our conversation with Cannabis Coach Haley, it's now available for streaming. Speaking of Rise Dispensaries, uh, Rise, if I'm not mistaken, is owned by GTI. Um, And we'll have our guests correct me if I'm wrong here in a moment. But GTI is a publicly traded multi-state operator. Uh, They actually run in 12 states. And uh, I'll just kind of be candid. What they do is they create limited markets. I would argue that they are the reason that Illinois is the way it is. In other words, they've set themselves up for maximum profits and maximum expansion. And on that note, they've got 10 stores open in the state of Illinois, which (laughs) is the max, right? So they're honoring their uh, little mission there. Um, So now I, you can also correct me if I'm wrong on this one. Um, They're trying to do an incubator program, a lot like Cresco and Revolution. And I'll just remind you that we had Michael Malcolm on our podcast, and he talked about his experience working with Revolution and what some of these companies are doing. You know, they're posing this as an incubator program, but really what it is is um, it's their only legal way to expand their business at this point. Because, again, GTI, they're kind of hitting their max at uh, 10 stores. So without further ado, I just wanted to... Um, introduce our guest, Dave. Dave, you here? Oh, thank you, Daniel. Daniel, uh, Daniel Carell. Oh, I'm actually, uh, I'm not hearing you for some reason. Um, I think it's still on mute. What's going on here? Oh, I figured it out. Um, (laughs) sorry about that. Audio issues on the Chillinois podcast. That's a first. Um, so Dave, you here? Yes. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, great, doing great. Uh, hey, um, <clears throat> well, thank you for having me on. You know, it's uh, you got a great, you got a great show. Um, we love, you know, we love Shelby County products, by the way, and uh, enthusiastic, <clears throat> always excited about their medicinal products and their suppositories are amazing. Um, Absolutely. So my name is Daniel Corral, and I've been. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. And- I introduced you as David. I'm sorry, Daniel. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. It's all right. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so so you're right. You know, um, GTI is a publicly traded company, and it started originally as Baywater Uranium in Canada, and then they re, you know, reorganized, and now it is Green Thumb Industries. Um, their home state is uh, Illinois, and that's where we have. Uh, Currently about 10 licenses. Um, that is the cap, as you said, 10 licenses. So uh, right now, the the uh, GTI as a whole has capped out at, at um, all of their, you know, medical licenses and adult use licenses. So, um, 
And as you stated there, they are using um, their incubator program as well to, you know, that's a, that's a part of their uh, corporate social responsibility program. Um, and uh, talking with other people who have gone through that program or who have assisted or been, you know, involved with that, that seems to be a way that GTI, um, I don't know, it just, it's just, it just doesn't seem like it's a very transparent program. So in, in reality, uh, people are pushing so that those programs become more a part of like, uh, for example, so in the West Coast, like Oakland and other cities, they're having like a cannabis um, office, so to speak, in, in the in the local state, legis- you know, and state and uh, city city um, city halls, where that 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 work of like you know incubator programs and apprenticeship programs are are taken out of the companies and really headed off almost like together with the small business administration, so to speak, right? So that people can really be transparent about the work that that is being done. So if someone if someone says, "Oh, we'd like to help seed a program or seed you know an applicant and uh, and do like um, you know from from beginning to end guidance on dispensary or grow or anything," well then let that be transparent and accountable, right? Because if it's if these programs are headed by and uh, controlled by and very you know insulated within a company. Well, who's to say what really happens, right? If, right. If a, yeah, if that's actually what's really being done or if it's more uh, just kind of like talking the talk to have a, a public image, right? So it's it's uh, talking with other people who have been a part of those, that uh, incubator program, it seems to be not enough. At, very best, um, at the very best, it's not enough and it's not operated uh, in a way that's really going to prepare people for to you know to not only receive licenses but uh, to effectu- to effectively operate right um, right well and, of- and the other thing not to, to cut you off but the other thing that th- there's like murkiness about it like what the deal actually is you know some of these companies write really long legal contracts to a person that is looking for an opportunity and they may not have a lawyer that can thumb through all the paperwork. And for example, there may be something like a shelf space agreement or, um, you know, you know, something else that's, so I'm just trying to point out, you know, the, the extra layer, not only are they not really being, uh, I mean, they're just not being transparent, which I guess is the point you were trying to make. Yes. Transparency is so important, especially in a compliant industry such as this, you know, a heavily regulated industry, where people want to be compliant at all at all levels, I think the best way to be compliant and transparent, uh, I would agree, is to is to um, you know having that checks and balances is very difficult to do to implement when uh, when a company such as GTI or who you know whoever wants to have that like an in-house program, right? It's really it's really um, not conducive to transparency, you know, or accountability. Um, and, yeah. uh, and as you said, well, as, as we're discussing today, like, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the companies who have been, um, who have submitted their applications for, for, for craft grow licenses or dispensary licenses or what have you, they've been delayed. Right. And what we've seen is a pattern of, uh, multi-state operators such as GTI 
send lobbyists and um, and and really hamper those hamper hamper the release of these licenses, right? Um, and when you when we want to when we look at when we do research and understand the way the bottom line of uh, of, of companies such as GTI, well, their bottom line is the way they operate, right? Their modus operandi, or what they tell their investors on their investor reports, is that they create limited markets, right? They create and maintain limited markets to to uh, keep competition at a at an all time low and right. attract investors, and you know, with with of course promises of high revenue, high profits, right? So it. It, w- it doesn't make sense. Why would a company such as GTI, who is, who is very intent on created uh, markets that are very difficult to access by, by especially social, social equity applicants, we, we just don't believe as workers and as communities, especially that come from you know, the communities most affected or most disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, we don't believe that a company that's whose bottom line is to create limited, create and maintain limited markets, that they would be honest about a seed program or, an, or about an incubation program that would actually go against that bottom line, right? Right. Um, and I think it's literally something out of a South Park episode. Um, GTI lobbied against adult, uh, cult, you know, the ability for just adults to cultivate cannabis at home. And some people would argue that it was a concession to make the bill pass. But why is a cannabis company lobbying against a, a pro-cannabis, you know, measure? Um, and, and what you're talking about is uh, is exactly, I guess, uh, thematic or, or it relates. I'm kind of getting lost in my thought here. But they arguably lobby against things that are anti-cannabis if it's pro, if it, if it benefits them. Yes, that's what we've also been seeing, um, not just as dispensary workers or workers in this industry in Illinois, but also patients, right? As uh, most of us are patients or caregivers, and uh, a lot of us love this plant. And it was very disappointing to see uh, companies such as GTI lobby against home grow, uh, because essentially it's it's another way to um, hold this plant in a to control the plant, right? Um, to control the people who grow it, who benefit from it, who use it. Um, it's almost like I thought we were spreading the hash. We know we we want to spread that hashtag, right? Free the free the plant, right? And, right. Um, we have shirts that say "Free the Plant," uh, four twenty, right? Seven ten. Well, that goes against against that spirit of freeing this this medicinal, natural you know, originally wild growing plant, right? And um, especially in light of our history as a country with this plant, right? And the uh, criminalization of it and the continual con- criminalization of those who who have uh, continued to use it and grow it and sell it, right? And distribute it. They're still very much in jail. The, a lot of people were murdered because of it. And continue to to uh, it's still be it's still a dangerous um, transaction, so to speak, right? Uh, Absolutely. If, if a person is um, still is still operating um, on the uh, on the market within the communities, which it has, of course, in our history, after what was it like the nineteen twenties, thirties, where 
if we were going to keep continue this plant's uh, use and distribution, well, it had to be done, quote unquote, illegally, right? But right. Um, so, you know, the benefits, uh, I, I, I remember the day that a uh, personal story when I was hired, um, you know, Brendan Bloom, the, the current VP of store development, asked me if I was happy to work at a dispensary, right? Wasn't I so excited? And I said, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, of course, am excited to become, to, to be a part of the industry. I'm excited to be, uh, that it's come this far, right? That the cannabis policy is now, you know, within the, at least state, states have, uh, quote unquote, been able to operate dispensaries and grows. However, until, until the people that are still in jail because of this, uh, be released, right? And, um, you know, the different conditions for uh, expungement be opened up and uh, decriminalization as a whole. And, of course, the federally, uh, legal, federal legalization of this uh, of cannabis becomes a reality. Then there's still a lot more work we have to do. Right. And uh, it had been our hope that cannabis companies such as, you know, these multi-state operators like GTI would be totally for that. But it's been our experience that they are not right so uh why would they lobby against home grow right it only it uh no matter what they have said and through and throughout their discourse it has become clear that it's just another way to to hold that plant right hostage yeah do you, you want me to prove your point um Please. you know <laughs> illinois uh cannabis cultivation was legalized this year for medical patients the other thing that was legalized uh, was for dispensaries to sell seeds. Guess what? Disp- it was so they're able to sell seeds, but they're not forced to sell seeds. And why do you think they don't sell seeds? I think I'm proving your point. They don't yeah. want you to grow. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, it's it's just one of the things that correct. You're right. Like um, is when one of the things that has been disappointing a lot of people who had you know high hopes about the. Uh, cannabis policy as it stands in Illinois are now becoming disillusioned and disappointed and frustrated uh, for at least the last, what, six years now through the medical pilot, cannabis pilot program and now the adult use program as of January 1, 2020, right? Um, right. Where like the first five licenses for the adult use program were, were awarded to the same company, right? GTI in August of 2019. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it just seems like another, another industry that's been, uh, co-opted by big business and, and, uh, very, you know, in order to be a, a player in this uh, industry or an owner and operator, it, it's, uh, it's, you have to be a part of, a you have to have a lot of capital, a lot of money and a lot of connections, political connections, investors. And it's just something that we, we were, seemed like unanimous, unanimously hopeful that it would be be a more accessible uh, field to enter, right? And not not only as workers and people as uh, apprentices, and but also as uh, to make that switch, right? For example, let's talk about just a, just as an example of an industry that is that has been making great strides, right? Like uh, for example, um, the home the home brewers transition to uh, nano brewers and craft you know craft brewers and um, yeah. You know, microbrewers, right? That that has been an excellent uh, transition where 
countless, countless um, home brewers have have been able to make that leap into into an industry that was very regulated and that was changed through the efforts of uh, advocates, right, home brewers, and through the Illinois Brewers Guild, did a lot of that groundwork to make sure that that uh, we in Illinois changed those prohibition-era laws so that a home brewer could become a nano brewer and self-distribute their beer and uh, or a micro brewer, for example, right? And um, a story we love to tell is again, Brandon Bloom from GTI uh, benefited from that exact uh, that exact policy work, right? That that exact legislative work, so that because Brandon Bloom is is a owner of Beguile Brewing in Chicago, right? So he himself benefited from pro the the uh, changing of prohibitionary laws, so that him and his family can have a you know can 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 make a profit and and sell that beer, right? Make it and sell it and distribute is he the it, same, right? Is he the same one that has a stake in Jim Beam or something? No, that's actually the owner of GTI, the CEO and owner, uh, founder of GTI. So, His name is uh, Ben Kovler, right? So exactly, both so both of them people. have benefited from that, right? Because uh, Ben Kovler calls Mer- the cannabis industry prohibition 2.0. Why does he say that? Because his family is, has uh, been through it. Yes, they benefited and they uh, were owners of uh, Jim Beam, right? And they sold it for uh, billions of dollars. And that became the generational wealth that his family held, right? Um, And again, they benefited from the changing of laws so that uh, a heavily regulated um, substance, right, or plant, so to speak, could become, could become, right, um, a plant or a a substance or a plant that can be, you know, sold and marketed, right, and distributed, and uh, and so this prohibition 2.0 that that he likes to that Ben Cover likes to classify cannabis as, well, it's it's uh it's almost like saying they're big beer, right, or big, you know, it's it's another way of saying this is a big big green, right, like um, where that's not yeah. the spirit of uh that's not what we want to do right that's not what we wanted to see cannabis go right right well what you're saying is is that uh and it kind of does relate to the trajectory of alcohol pro- prohibition and uh is like you know basically what they did was they re- legalized the retail sale of cannabis cannabis is still illegal i always argue because you can still get a class a misdemeanor for example if you have over 30 grams you can get a felony if you have over a hundred, um, and it's different even for out of staters. Um, and so, in in, a, in that aspect, I argue that it's it's not legal if I'm still able to get in trouble for it. And then also, you know, I can't grow it myself. So, is it really legal? Because it's the same substance that apparently is supposed to be legal. It's the same plant. And so, what I what they did was they they legalized the means of distribution for themselves, uh, and you know, um, they just now conceded that medical patients can have the right to grow. But even in the law, it doesn't even really say that caregivers can directly tend to those plants. So they're expecting people that are sick to grow their own plants. And it's just uh, hilarious. And one of the things that before I want to transition into something that you've uh, been doing, you've been trying to organize. um, And I really one of the main, I guess, uh, policy points, if you will, 
um, I really just strongly agree with as somebody who knows a lot of immunocompromised patients and immunocompromised dispensary employees. I really like that uh, I'm going to describe kind of the efforts that you're, or I'm going to allow you to describe some of the efforts that you're doing. But um, I like that, again, one of the policy points is that you're trying to get GTI uh, to commit to uh, curbside sales. And the idea is to protect those immunocompromised patients. And the reason I, again, empathize with it so much is not only because I know these, these people that are affected by this, but we've talked about this on the show before. The Illinois Medical Cannabis Program came about as the compassionate use of medical cannabis. And when it was at its inception, it was very limited in its list of conditions. And just, you know, most of those conditions are immunocompromised. Those patients that have those conditions, uh, they're immunocompromised. So they've been immunocompromised before the pandemic. They are immunocompromised during the pandemic. And I'm not I'm not foreseeing their immunocompromisation going away after the pandemic. And so this is why I think that curbside should be here to stay um, because, and not only during the course of the pandemic, again, these medical patients have been immunocompromised. So I just wanted to say, as you segue into the efforts you're doing to make a better working environment at GTI, um, that I really, uh, I love that that's part of your, I guess, core mission. You know what I mean? So. Yes, thank you. That that's true. We, you know, um, <clears throat> we've been working at at a three C, compassionate care center in Naperville, Illinois, for um, myself personally over two years, and a lot of the people in the organizing committee, uh, the worker organizing committee that we that we built up over the years, um, you know, have had extensive time there too, right? Over at least a year, sometimes some two, some over three years, right? And and everyone as a whole uh, entered into this new field, right? This new industry, uh, because as you stated, we're, we're patients. We, we uh, wholeheartedly agree with the history of cannabis and the the present, you know, uh, the not so distant history, right, of uh, in the state of Illinois is a medical program, right, where people, you know, get get medical cards and they have access to to their medicine, cannabis medicine, at at a at an, uh, a very low taxed price, right? Like I, I I would say, how much is the tax? Like one point something percent, right? Or yeah, or yeah, well, like about one percent. Extremely low, right? And um. Because cannabis, of course, is not uh, a medicine that's that's covered through insurance, uh, so it, it's it's still um, <clears throat> so for 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 it started as a patient program, as you said, and and uh, that's what the our dispensary has always been a medical cannabis dispensary, right? And, really, uh, that's awesome. Even, yeah, it's always been that, and it was started by a, a couple. And then GTI bought that bought Three C uh, Naperville and Three C Joliet. I believe it was the fall of two thousand and seventeen. Uh, and so those two dispensaries became um, came under the uh, operation and ownership of GTI since then. And uh, what we've seen since that time was a completely different spirit behind you know, behind the way that we, you know, serve our patients and the way that we uh, work, right? 
And it was uh, very disheartening to, to experience uh, GTI's um, method of operating, right? It was, became very um, hostile, uh, very toxic work environment, uh, hostile work environment, a uh, very unsafe work environment. And uh, we really wanted to we really didn't want to just leave, right? We, we, we were already working there and we're like, you know what, we don't want to leave. But it became clear since that the beginning that GTI operated in a way that um, they were going to try to get rid of the the tradition, the staff that had been there, right? So they systematically um, did, did just that, right? It was like, a, it was essentially a takeover and, uh Many, many of the people that were there were let go um, Man. and uh, or, you know, or pushed out. Right. Um, yeah. One of our security guards who had been there, beloved by so many patients and, and, and co-workers, was essentially intimidated, harassed, um, you know, over the course of months until he was they until GTI fired him and then even called the Naperville Police Department. Right. This is a. This is a, a multiple tour combat veteran, right? He served our country for well over 10 years, right? And uh, had a, an extensive extensive amount of those years in actual combat. And just to be, and as, a, and as a patient himself, you know, targeted and treated as such, right? Uh, um, and essentially disposed of, right? And then they called the Naperville Police Department to, you know, with someone with that level of PTSD, that was a very scary situation. It was a very hurtful situ situation, and uh, sure. it really caused him um, extensive pain and trauma, right, on top of everything he'd already had. So I remember that day I stood next to him, and uh, it was a very traumatic experience and a very uh, – it was very frustrating. And from that point on, we, we realized that we were going to have to come together and exercise our rights as workers – to organize, you know, to organize and to um, commit to concerted activities so that we would protect our rights as workers and our rights as patients, right? So yeah. little by little, we had we had come together and formed a workers organizing committee and uh, really turned that place into a place that was uh, much better than what it was, right? And our patients can attest to that. We love our patients. We we love each other like that. We created a work environment that was uh, very healthy. Uh, however, that was something that the workers did. Uh, and GTI, no, did not do that. In fact, has always worked against our our, our, worker, our work culture, right? Our workplace culture. Um, it seems like no matter what we've done, they've worked, they've gone against it, right? So then let's just fast forward to... Um, this year, so 2020, right? Adult use program begins. Um, there is a there is a clear focus from GTI, top down, from corporate and management that we were going to transition from our attentiveness to patients, to our to our attention to uh, the needs of the business, and in all reality, the needs of the market, right? The not the needs of the market, but the we were going to focus our attention to the adult use market, right? And uh, it became clear that that was the preferred, that that was the next step, is to essentially turn all of our energies and resources, and um, and goals towards that market. 
Uh, and we and we realized that as a medical cannabis, as a medical cannabis dispensary, that you know we were we were going to be forced to transition into um into essentially a recreational uh, adult use dispensary, which yeah. which you know a lot of patients are not happy with uh with this uh, mixing of the two, right? Like well, because sure. it really is it really is different, right? Um, and uh, we we had experience at the Rise Joliet, the new Rise Joliet dispensary that opened up January, and where we we were able to work there as well for a couple of days, or weeks, right? And we saw that there was a major difference in uh, in how the medicine was presented, distributed, and we didn't we just didn't feel right about that. So um, either way, right? As a recipient of those five licenses, adult use licenses, Naperville actually holds a recreational license and is intent um, has plans to. So, 3C Naperville has plans to to uh, expand in the next couple of months and essentially re you know reopen as a medical and adult use dispensary. So, um, in March, when COVID nineteen pandemic hit, we um, you know, we were a staff of about 20 and a lot of, you know, a lot of us, as you said, are immunocompromised and a lot of our patients. So we wanted to do the right thing. And we said, hey, you know, we, we talked with GTI corporate and management and we said, you know what, can we uh, transition to curbside sales? Because, well, the governor said we could, right? And uh, it would be in the patient's best interest and our best interest to have that kind of a health and safety parameter um, you know, be, be implemented. Right. Well, they wouldn't do it. They would not do it. Right. We could not believe it that, that, um, you know, that they, that they kept saying that there was no way they were going to do that because, because the Vegas market was affected and other markets, the Nevada market, right. So other markets were affected and it was, it was, um, it was the discourse from GTI was that we, we needed to make up for that hit. Right, we need to make up for that hit. <laughs> so put your and, bodies uh, on the line, put your put your families at risk because Nevada and other markets aren't doing well. Is their response <laughs> to you? Yes, it was so. It's like tragic and comedic at the same time. We couldn't believe it because this was a week where we were already down staff because um, many of the many of our coworkers didn't feel safe, right? Because because they are already immunocompromised and they needed to take time off. And just to just to get their bearings and get prepared for what was coming, um, so we were already down. Um, I would say about a quarter of our staff in March, and uh, maybe even more than that. And our um, what we received were phone calls while we were low staff, while we were scared, while our patients were scared. All we were receiving calls about were our margins. Okay. How much, how bad we were doing on our margins, right? Now let, let me like, ask you this question. Let me sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but these people no, that are no. calling in, I assume they're from corporate. Were they going into the office? No. Good question. <laughs> they, had, <laughs> they had already they had already, they had left the home office that first week when the news hit that COVID had reached Chicago. Oh sure, yeah, drop everything and run because they're important, right? They they make the big bucks. But yeah, the they had gone home. They were calling <laughs> us from home. Like, we couldn't believe it. We were like, we, we were we were down so much staff, and they knew it. 
and no one offered to come help, right? Even our, our store manager was on vacation that week and uh, right. they were, they had the nerve and, you know, no shame to say, Hey, what's up with your margins? What? We were like, do you yeah, realize maybe people happening? are scared? Maybe people are scared and don't want to come shop here right now because there's a fucking pandemic. And maybe people are scared to come into our store because we don't offer curbside pickup. Maybe that's what's wrong with our uh, with our meat, you know, our medians, whatever they said. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't even what what was even heartbreaking for most of us. Right. And that and not just heartbreaking, but that was a reality check was that uh, we were making more money than ever before. I mean, yeah, that's actually, I was going to say, the reports are that Illinois, uh, the one of the booming, w- one of the economies that has remained to boom in Illinois, if you want to say that, is uh, the cannabis, the cannabis industry. So, yeah. Exactly. And the way that margins are computed do not reflect reality, right? We were making more money than ever before, day by day by day by day. It was more and more and more. We could, I mean... Because like you, you know, everybody was coming into buying because they didn't know whether or not we were going to shut down, right? So people sure. were purchasing, wow, so much, right? They were they were purchasing their limit, right? Which is, is a two and a half grams, or if you had a special permission from your physician, then that could be about, um, I'm sorry, two and a half ounces or five ounces, or sometimes even more than that, right? So people were maxing their limit because they were scared, and we. We were making more money than any in the month of March. We made more money than ever before. I mean, it was unbelievable to get those calls asking us why our margins from the day before. Right. And not till now, 24 hours were not good and that we needed to make cuts. Right. We needed to make cuts. And it was unbelievable to get those calls. And um, and then so not only to receive those calls, but after our after the day would end. Right. Uh, we would say, hey, you know, we need more masks. We need gloves. We need hand sanitizers. We need we need curbside pickup. We need like everything that we said was was um, essentially neutralized. Right. They would just take our words and say, well, uh, the business needs the business. See, it, it became like a broken record. Well, you know, the needs of the business. Well, the business needs. We need to focus on the needs of the business and how much money we're making per day. And we couldn't aren't, believe I'm sorry, it. aren't the needs of the business to have a staff that stays alive and is able to come oh, into work? <laughs> you know, like Yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry. It was unbelievable like how how um disconnected to to human to human beings, right? To the to the actual lived experience of human beings, right? And during a pandemic, no less, right? And we were like, this is unreal. So, you know, that lasted for over two weeks, right? That that uh, increasingly unsafe, uh, increasingly dangerous environment, that increasingly, um, you know, the pressure, the staff were breaking it down into tears, okay? Because they were, everybody was so scared and not just for each other, but for their families at home and for the patients that were coming in. It was, it was a an extremely trauma, traumatizing experience, right? And uh, luckily we had enough love for each other and um, and will that we said, you know what? We're going to have to do something uh, very soon because nothing is changing. And GTI corporate and management simply assume 
that we are just going to put our heads down every day and disregard you know the best you know the best for ourselves our families our communities and our patients well that wasn't going to last right according to um our i mean i work with some of the some of the best people i have ever met right and i think a lot of uh this is this is probably an experience across the across the cannabis world right like that plant is amazing the people who 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 touch that plant and who have considered that plant to be an integral part of their health I mean, we love that plant. We love each other. It's just a culture, right? It's a family. And there was no way that we're going <laughs> this was just too much. So we banded together. And uh, like I said, it was over 10 of us. And we said, you know what? Let's, let's take, let's, let's be, uh, let's exercise our rights. So we, so we did a work stoppage, right? March 30th, we um, committed to a work stoppage where we said, you know what? We're simply not coming back to work, right? Uh, until you implement uh, personal protective equipment, right? Uh, curbside only delivery, right? Where people come into their vehicle from their order online. I mean, we already had the infrastructure, right? We had we had online orders already. This was the thing, right? And yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It was. It was. It was very simple. We were like. We have the ability to do it and we will not come in. So that's what we did. Um, it worked, right? Our, 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 uh, our worker work stoppage worked. So in, by the second week of April, we had curbside uh, delivery as uh, Im- implemented, right? However, we realized that GTI corporate and management were upset. They were upset at us, right? Because we had the nerve, we dared to walk, you know, to lift up our head and exercise our rights, right? So <laughs> it, from that point on, it was a game where GTI would essentially tell us, well, we don't know how long this is going to last. And by the way, if you guys want to come back to work, there has to be like some, you know, like extensive screening that you have to go through and like all these hoops. Oh, so and, now they're know, concerned like, about COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Like we have to get tested and screened, and it was it was these vague. So hold on a second. You guys did the work stoppage, and now they're trying to set terms on when you can come back. It sounds like they were trying to take control in the situation, and and take you out of the driver's seat. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you, you, uh, we'll meet your demands, but you're not coming back to work until you meet our demands. It's kind of the little bait and switch there. Exactly. It's just interesting that they change their, uh, they all of a sudden are changing or treating the pandemic as uh, important. Like you can't come back unless you pass our tests. Yeah, we asked for what these conditions were and we received vague answers, right? Um, we, and we just realized, wow, they're actually taking, basically they're, they're going to turn this around and start, and start using that as a weapon against us, right? Like, and they're, um, we we had realized that that there was a shift in their in their treatment towards us, right? Because already since December we had been saying, okay, you know, January one, we had uh, we had been discussing other things as workers, right? Like you know, part time transition to full time, you know, benefits, um, compensation. Because as you might know, in two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen. GTI um, 
was named the best workplace, right? And uh, MG yep. Retailer and I think Crane's Business. Um, yes. And we were at a we were at a loss on where on where they on where these two magazines uh, received this information, right? Like, who did they pull? We were like, yeah, who's who's having a good time here? Who's being treated like, fairly? <laughs> yeah, through the throughout those years, we had been asking for uh, for profit sharing for uh, stock compensation for uh full-time benefits for full-time design for vacation time pto uh for for more money you know for better raises to improve our standard of living right and uh and not only that but we were given promises of uh what we what was determined uh what was called 360 reviews right where we would we would continue to improve our workplace and we would have a chance to have our own our own reviews of management so we can improve our processes, right? Well, none of those things were implemented, by the way. Like the raises were actually cut. Um, that 360 review was not was not administered, right? Um, and our, our call center that was developed, we were not we were not afforded the call center to use. So so uh, so all these things were being done as a result of. Uh, of GTI simply not wanting to to uh, like you said, right? They wanted to take control of the of the narrative yeah. and of the and of the reins, right? And say, well, you're not going to to um, to dictate to us anything. And we're like, whoa, this is strange. So it was a constantly frustrating experience for us. Where by mid-April, we said, you know, this is this has gone on too long. Unless we do something. Um, we're going. We're going to have to try and implement and uh, solidify uh, a different paradigm here, right? So let's 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 organize a union, right? Because only then will we be able to collectively negotiate the terms of our relationship, right? We had realized that there was no other way, um, because this other the 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 way that they had organized it, and oh, you just come to us, right? Come to us, ask us, come to us, tell us. It's an open door. Just tell us. Well, we we realized that it was all talk and no action, right? Um, right, right. So people that are saying right now, when you brought up the idea of unionizing, and they're going, "Wait a minute, why can't you just talk to your managers about this?" Your point is, you have, and you've oh, actually yeah. even had them turn around and try to challenge you or kind of spitefully punish you, um, you know, with like those crazy uh, the tests. I, I think that was just out of spite. You know what I mean? Um, so I just wanted yeah. to say that really quick when people ask why unionize, well, you, like you said, it was enough is enough. Yeah. We, I mean, we had done so much of that legwork, right. And knocking on the doors and going up the chain and uh, participating in the town halls, doing everything that we were given, um, you know, using all the doors, all the vehicles, all the chains, all of the communication ladders. And we realized, wow. We were not only not listened to or heard or seen, but we were we were actually taken from. Like they cut our raises. Right? Yeah. They cut our they were get they were making us cut things, right? And we were like, what? You're making triple the profit. You know, that's fact. Since January one, GTI has tripled their profit. Okay. Um and uh triple the profits in our store had had um our store had turned around so so much that 
I mean, when you when you look at our financials and store morale and patient satisfaction, uh, we had created a store that was operating magnificently, right? Like uh, you can look at our reviews during those years and it's like a, a constant, you know, boom, wow, improvement, satisfaction, happiness. But but the workers, we were experiencing frustration with management and corporate so that by the time um, this this pandemic came out, it really in um, kind of like uh, blew that up so that uh, where we thought that we, we might have a chance to to get um, to have a voice and to and to have any kind of improvements, we realized that there was no chance that the door the door was sealed, right? So we were like, you know what? This is evidence that there's no way we're going to be able to change things and improve our workplace, improve our conditions, improve our standard of living unless we unless we do what we have to do and, and form a union, right? Because of course the history of unionization is to be able to collectively bargain as as labor, as workers and say, hey, we are going to offer our labor, our services, and um, and it's an agreement, right? It's a relationship where we say, well, this is what we have to offer, and this is what we want in return, right? This is our negotiated, right. uh, these are the negotiated terms of our relationship with you, right? Because uh, as you know, in every single company discourse, public discourse, what do they say? Well, we couldn't do this without the workers. We couldn't do, and GTI has that down, right? Like, look at any statement, and they always talk about us, right? Like, we're the stars. Look at their Twitter account. They had, I think in mid-April or mid-May, they had a video of of uh, GTI workers dancing. Like, Oh, my I, goodness. <laughs> you know, Dude. like... Those were corporate. Those were those were managed. That was management and corporate dancing, and they had the best masks ever. Did you see those masks they have? No employees. Our employees do not have those masks. We were given the same old masks to wear for weeks at a time. Right? It was like they told us when they finally gave us masks in like closer to June. Okay, it, it took closer. It was like late May, early June, where we actually had masks that uh, we did not make from home, right? And they were like, well, here's uh, here's these, you know, whatever masks and just, you know, just wear them for a week. And we were like, wait a minute, how can all of these other stores, these recreate, these adult use stores have way better masks? I thought we were one family, you know? So it became, um, we, we just felt that we needed to to solidify into a union because, um, and you know, those are, those are things that, that people might say are small, but when in the, in the in, in the context that we were in, it was one thing after the other that we were not um, share. We were not given right. The the gloves were always we we had to make runs during our lunch breaks right to go get gloves to go look for masks to look to go look for hand sanitizer. Like it was it was it was given to us to do that task right, and uh, we were like this is unbelievable. A multi billion company such as GTI cannot cannot do the right thing right and and uh and take care of its own employees take care of its patients so so when we did that when we when we formed uh when we formed a union uh when we formed a worker committee right to unionize um immediately it became uh, a very hostile uh, hostile environment right because when we submitted and we were fast when we submitted our authorization cards we had well over half signed and um, the the day that we 
submitted our, uh, meaning we had over half of the employees sign. It was over 65% of our employees. Uh, actually, it was over 70% that had signed the authorization cards. And we submitted those cards with the UFCW, the um, United Food and uh, Confectionery. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, nice. Uh, Good deal. Yeah, I've heard they yeah. do, do stuff with cannabis all over the uh, nation. Nice. Yeah, local 881, right? So the same the same union that uh, that the workers at Mariano's and Jeweler with, et cetera, right? And, and other cannabis um, workers like, for example, Cresco and yeah. Medman and other, and other uh, cannabis companies have uh, the workers have won their union election and they're now in negotiation, right? Like Cresco. Um, but we, this was not the first time that uh, GTI workers had attempted to unionize, right? In the fall of uh, 2019, in December, the, the Rock Island workers the, in Illinois, they had, a, they had a, union a union drive as well. And GTI was um, heavily, heavily undermined that effort, right? So we knew that if we were going to do this, we were not, it was not going to be welcome, right? Yeah. So we, we did it anyways. We said, you know, we don't feel that we have a choice. Well, we have a right to do this and let's do it. And it was done with love. Everything we did out of love. No one, we never had any animosity towards our store manager, our assistant manager, our district manager, no one, right? So we submitted our union uh, petition, our petition for a union election. It was April 23rd. April 24th, we had a mandatory phone meeting with uh, Ben Kovler, Brendan Bloom, uh, and uh, other other members of the uh, management and corporate, right? And um, oh, that sounds it was, scary! It, mandatory it was, phone call. Oh, it was it was pathetic. It was in, infuriating because they've put us in a room early in the morning and had us sit there. And they immediately said, we heard about the union. We're, we're disappointed in you. We're disappointed upset. in you. Yeah. They were telling us how they were, how they were treating us. Like it was sad. They were like, we're disappointed. We're upset. We disagree. This sounds like my mom when, when she found a pot in my room, <laughs> um, we're just, you know, we're just disappointed in you. We're upset. Oh. Sorry, I don't mean. I'm just trying to insert <laughs> some comedy in this because it's really it sad. The story's sad, and you said it best. Pathetic, uh, multi-billion-dollar company. We could not believe it. Like we were sitting there looking at everybody's looking at each other. Like, is this real? I do they? I mean, do they think that we have no dignity and no intelligence, emotional or otherwise? Oh, oh. Well, and did so, they not you know, hear you? Did they not hear you? That's the other thing. It, like, it sounds like they didn't hear you. If they're upset with you, like, how could they be upset about something about these concerns that are are pretty amicable? I think you said um, commitment of curb curbside sales. Uh, oh no, this was this was before. This was the Rock uh, Rock Island uh, unionization effort, right? That got stamped down. That was in the fall, yes, where we where we saw that, unfortunately. GTI had um, committed to undermining and interfering in that, in their right to organize uh, a fair union election, right? So they had over a hundred and I think it was about 120 to 140 workers that were able to sign authorization cards at, at Rock Island. Well, GTI appealed to the National Labor Relations Board that the uh, growers, that the cultivating, the cultivation department 
could not possibly be a part of the unionization efforts because they were all suddenly they were ag workers. Okay. And ag workers fall under a different jurisdiction, right? And so it was very, it was horrible that they would, that they appealed their union election and said that these, the, the entire grow department could not be a part of it. Now, is this the idea that I am sorry to keep cutting you off, but is this the idea that a union should be focused on one industry? So are they trying to argue that arguably you have your feet in two different buckets? Is that the, the, you know, they're saying you're their ag, but you're UFC, you could be UFCW or am I getting lost in it? Well, it's tied actually to the, to the history of our country. Right. And, uh, the, the beginning the beginnings and current, you know, <clears throat> right. So, I mean, what happened with the, when the police murdered George Floyd, right. It's like, it's the reason why there's so many people upset is because, uh, you know, Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers fought and organized and struggled for decades to change the, the laws that affected farm workers. Right. And so these laws that were set in place, made it virtually impossible for there to be a, a farm worker union, right? A union, a union gotcha. is like, it is still the same old, um, essentially indentured servitude, right? Farm workers in the United States have some of the lowest protections and the lowest, I mean, the worst, uh, you know, um, conditions of, as workers in this con- in the world, right? So as a, as a nation, as a, progressive and democratic as ours and could still have uh, segments or large segments of our population that are not afforded equal rights under the law right and uh, the dignity and um, the dignity and protections that workers in this day and age ought to have right so that's why they uh, companies such as GTI and Cresco, because Cresco did the same thing in Joliet, they designated their anybody who touched that plant. They designated as a farm worker. Okay, so no, they don't have the same rights, and it's tied to that history of um, of cheap labor and um, labor uh, that is not afforded equal protections uh, wow. under the law. So, so it's very, it's very, very. Um, it's a, it's a very, uh, I don't even know the correct word. It's a very insidious tactic. It's a very, uh, it's a horrible tactic that cannabis companies are using to undermine um, workers' rights to, to improve their conditions and to right. improve well, their and standard of living. When you say, when I'm looking at GTI's website right now, they say, number one, people come first. Our, pow- our people power our company. Decisions and share commitment to giving back to the communities we serve. Let's, let's you know, ignore the fact that maybe they don't really give back to the communities they serve. Uh, let's, you know, in multiple ways, but let's talk about the people. I mean, they're literally arguing against, <laughs> they're trying to make a distinction in their, fa- in GTI's favor, to be clear, uh, so that they don't have to compensate these people as much. So do people really come first? You exactly. Know? We've we've seen that we do not as workers. We we've seen that people do not people come last to GTI. It's profits over people. That's what they that's what they're about. It's business yeah. needs 
it's 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 like um unfettered capitalistic needs bottom line over over basic dignity and rights of workers i mean just even that right i mean that was that's what we've that's what's been our experience working with gti right and um and it was very it was very disheartening because we were in contact with the workers of rock island throughout their campaign and their and their union drive and we were and we were we were in in um direct communication with them we were you know we were hyping them up we were supporting them and we still are and uh it was it was rough you know to see that their numbers had been taken down to to less than i, I think they're over i think the final number was i think maybe 60 people could vote or something like that right because another another tactic that gti had uh, implemented uh, essentially these are union busting tactics right where they they consult with a with a person who who can give them the strategies to undermine union drives so the second strategy they use was to redesignate employees as management okay so anybody that had like a a, a semblance of a promotion or a, a a lateral move became designated as a as an management and and by default, well yeah, managers can't vote in a union election, right? So that also dwindled their numbers down extensively, and uh, and that that was a major factor in the in the loss of their union election, right? So they don't even have the chance to do it again until a year from the date of that election. Um, under the laws of the National Labor Relations Board, they have to wait a full year before they can do it again. And uh, we encourage them to do that again, to be encouraged yeah. to go forward with that, right? To not give that that dream up, that uh, to to uh, to not give that up, right? So when we we knew what we were going to be up against, right? Because we had already seen what GTI is all about when it comes to worker worker rights and the exercise of a uh, of a union drive, right? So then, so that essentially was textbook when it came to us. After that, that phone, that uh, after we were like told how disappointing that uh, they were in us, um, all of the all of the workers stood up. By the way, and it was beautiful to see, you know, beautiful to see that. Uh, there's a video of it too. By the way. We have a video. Oh my goodness! You should see and hear the passion and the courage and the dignity of workers, and you know, with agency and and strength, and say, you know what? One by one, how dare you? Who are you to yeah. to talk to us in this way? You know, we have rights too, and we have and we can tell you one by one the things that we were disappointed in them for, right? And we didn't back down. And after that meeting, um. We were even more resolved, right? And and people that were on the fence about joining, well, they certainly weren't on the fence after that meeting. They were disgusted with, with um, with the you know they were disgusted because, like you just read, you just read that right, like you saw that on our website where, well, we're always being told that every single communication day in and day out, we're told how much they love us, right? Can you imagine yeah. being told for over two years? how much they love, you know, how much GTI corporate management just, they love us. They're so appreciative. You know, wow, you guys are crushing it. Like every single day, it was like a gold star for you. Oh, did you get your gold sticker today? Wait, we're going to give you guys pizza next Friday. And we said, look, we don't want the gold stickers. We don't want the pizza. 
We don't need none of that. Like, we want what we've been asking for. You know what I mean? And this whole idea of positive affirmations and positive, you know, positive, positive, that's not enough when it comes to uh, adults saying, you know what, the relationship is not not going well. Like, this is a toxic work environment. Um, what you say on, in public and what you say in your emails and in your statements and in your meetings, they're not good enough anymore because you don't actually do what you say. You don't practice what you say. So this is, we've come to the time that we need a collective bargaining unit, right? And we need the nego to negotiate the terms of our relationship and that's called a union. So, so immediately yeah. after that meeting, they moved to, to, dis to destroy, to neutralize and destroy our efforts, right? For example, they designated uh, all of the agent in charge and all of the ship supervisors as members of management, number <laughs> one. Yeah. And we yeah. are not members of management. There's two managers. There's the store manager and there's the assistant manager. And uh, we were specifically told every time because we all started as patient care specialists, right? And they said, okay, patient, from patient care specialist to make a move to agent in charge, AIC, that's a lateral move, not a promotion, and it's not certainly not management, right? And again, from agent in charge, you move to a shift supervisor. Again, not a management position. It's a lateral move, not a promotion. So it's it's this way of, again, not treating workers, not giving workers a raise, you know, not, um, not uh, you know, seniority, raises. Like, it's more and more responsibilities and duties without the without the pay right wow. so it was it was unbelievable that they would say oh no actually you can't even have an election because uh a lot of the people that signed your cards they're management so you have to like so your numbers are down on that end and oh by the way just to let you guys know oh we hired 15 people literally wow. Overnight, wow. fifteen new people. So they can they can hire fifteen more people, but they can't even humor you on a conversation about, oh, I don't know, paying you for what you're doing, um, you know, paid time off, stuff like that. But they can just on a whim get fifteen more bodies in there. Exactly, fifteen new people overnight. They said they made an appeal to the National Labor Relations Board that our union petition for a union election was was not valid because our numbers had gone from 20 to 35 overnight you know and and by the way most you know a lot of us are management so according to them we our our union our petition was not valid right so we were forced to withdraw our petition we were forced to withdraw our petition we couldn't even go to an election so that's that's illegal, right? Like you, like we, ha people have a legal right to perform or, or to form a union. Uh, you know, if they if they don't want to agree to the peace labor agreement or the labor peace agreement, rather, um, they have every right. I mean, it's a it's an agreement, right? But to to purposefully stifle and reorganize and push people around so that they can't even vote anymore. Is is that even legal? I know that maybe you're not an attorney. You know, but this is sounding really murky. 
Well, we, we moved to file unfair labor practices and um, charges of unfair labor practices and charges of retaliation okay. because of because of GTI's um, actions. So we we as the worker committee, um, we feel that it is our experience that GTI has committed unfair labor practices and retaliation. Right. And uh, also, we feel like they've been spying on us, like trying to figure out who we are, because we've We've continued to have to have full anonymity, right? But um, we've seen on our social because we created social media accounts, we created um, Instagram accounts and Facebook account, and uh, we've written articles. Everything we've done as a collective, which is within our right, and we um, openly posted about our worker organizing and our union drive, right? Yeah, and, could you uh, please could you please share some of those handles so that people can find you on social media? Uh, I know on Instagram, let me check your uh, three at three C Naperville. Uh, let me see three C Naperville underscore GTI underscore workers. Um, but you mind throwing out uh, some of your other handles just so that people can uh, support you? Yes. Um, let's see. Let me get the Facebook one. Yeah. Sorry to put you on. on you can pull that up in the background if you'd like. I didn't mean to cut off where you were headed. Um, no. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for doing that. I think um, you know that's really important for us is to get our social is to get our. We realized that when when GTI started taking actions to neutralize and essentially destroy our worker organizing and our, our union drive, that we needed to go public. Yeah. So uh, we created we created a um, you know we created the, these platforms to tell to to share our story and to, and to garner, uh, the support of the public and, um, and the support of our patients, because we needed to, we needed to tell the truth of, uh, of what was happening because, um, that's, that was just a way for us to, to give, to, to have that reach. Right. And so once we started doing that, um, again, we realized that GTI was trying to to infiltrate our social media accounts and figure out how to, you know, who was behind it, you know, who was writing. And, and uh, I mean, you know, different workers were being targeted and harassed. And it, it was, um, it was very, it was very frustrating to see. Um, to see those efforts, I'm sure. I mean, it's like, again, we return to, I didn't mean to complete your thought there, but we return to, I'm looking on their website right now, um, you know, our way of bringing humanity to an industry that's about helping people first and foremost. And it's always been that way. Our people power our company decisions and share a commitment, you know, share the same commitment. Um, <laughs> you know, these things fly in the face of these efforts that they're doing. Once again, they seem pretty hypocritical as a cannabis company. You know? Yeah, it was it was yeah, so we start we started seeing that their that their discourse, their public discourse and their in house discourse, it did not match. It did not match their didn't match their actions and their attitude and the policies that they were actually enforcing when it came to to us, right? So um just to finish just to go um unfortunately I can't find we can return to that if, if you'd like. I got it noted. 
I think it's uh okay. It's uh facebook.com at GTI Naperville. And that's where you'll find our Facebook page at it's uh you know forward slash at forward slash GTI Naperville. So um or if you just look up 3C Naperville workers and unity for safety for all, because as you stated, that was our that was our organizing, you know. That was the heart and soul of our organizing since since March, right? That we that we needed to be safe for everybody, and uh, we were we considered that a successful action that we that we were able to get uh, to pressure GTI to to uh, implement curbside, and then not only that, but we also pressured GTI to continue that as a as a as um something that they continued because. You should have seen it every single week. It was this constant messaging towards us. And by the way, even when okay, I gotta say this when when uh, when GTI had said that we were all managers, suddenly everybody who everybody was locked out of the traditional in-house communication that we had been afforded previously. We could not access that. Right, every single morning. Interesting. And uh, a- after that, after that date where we submitted our petition, that uh, the people that were AICs and shift supervisors were locked out of the um, the emails and uh, the meetings that had that had to do that we were that we were essentially um, used to having together with with everybody, right? So it was um, they were having secret meetings, right? Management and uh, and corporate every single morning before the day started, and we felt that it was that it was it was wrongful for them to do that, right? And so we kept saying, "Well, we thought we were management. Like, why can't we? Why are we being locked out of out of the communication lines and out sure. of our traditional emails, um, right?" And so uh, over time, we felt, "Wow, this is unbelievable," and um, and. Uh, it, it was very, uh, it was very harm. It was hurtful. It was demoralizing for us to, to be, to realize that, um, that our petition would have to be withdrawn, because yeah. to to fight that kind of appeal, it would take a lot of time and lawyers, and uh, we realized, wow, you know, we didn't, we did not have that kind of backup, right? And so we were like, you know what? Let's reorganize. Let's 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 keep it moving and let's appeal to the public and that was very very important because it actually it actually um was it's what's been backing us up since then you know people like yourselves uh other members of the community all of the outpouring of public support whether patients or you know people in cannabis all over this country and especially in the illinois in our state man like nothing but love for you all because you all have been really really backing us up and showing us what cannabis is all about, what Illinois is all about, what the Chicago region is all about, you know, and, and it's about, it's a, it's a labor of love. And that's where we've uh, been receiving the outpouring of support and encouragement and also pressure, right? So the pressure has been continuously mounting since, um, since our appeal, since our, since our petition was withdrawn, we had to switch our, which our strategies, right? and uh and appeal to you all and that's when we really really got our wings and we said you know wow wow look at this even though being at the store every day 
hurts and is a rough experience and just being at that clinic. And uh, it's a very, very, very toxic and oppressive. But every day reading, you know, letters of support, reading, you know, messages and just all this stuff, you know, from other workers, from everybody. It's been encouraging. And, you know, it's it's really, really putting pressure on GTI because it's affecting their public image. You know yeah, I mean? and I'm seeing things from other states, too. I saw that you were recently on uh, Cannabis Legalization News, which is a, a podcast we've been on. And actually, I'm excited to announce uh, Tom, Miggy, um, uh, and the rest of the crew. I'm sorry, I'm just blanking on her name right now. Gosh, what is her name? She's messaged me. She's going to kill me for this because she's reached out to me and I'm forgetting her name right now. Well, she's cool gay aunt on Instagram. Uh, they're going to be on our podcast. And uh, I, I guess I saw you on there and I noticed they mentioned um, an experience of a P- Pennsylvania GTI worker. Uh, I believe maybe a member of the cultivation staff that has experienced. Uh, I hope I don't say this wrong, but sexism and racism in, in the workplace. Um, so, you know, like you say, more people are starting to speak out, um, and that is a good thing, you know, and I think it is the, the troubling thing, but I think it is a mark of a good change is that you see more and more in this industry that, um, cannabis workers are finding that they have to unionize. And I say that is a, it's a troubling thing because, it, you like I feel for you guys. You feel like you can't even have a conversation with somebody who should. I mean, it's a multi multi billion dollar company. They should be able to work with you. They should be able to allocate some resources to you, just like they've done to lobby for whatever they need. You know what I mean? You think they'd be able to work with you, and it turns out that no, they, they've got this corporate script, and uh, you kind of have to do what you're doing. This is what we're finding all over the nation. That is that. Cannabis workers are not treated fairly. And so I'm glad people like you are finally taking a stand um, to push for this. Um, unfortunately, though, you know, you've been personally affected by this. I, I don't know if you want to get too into the details, but, um, you know, you personally yeah. were singled out and punished for this, correct? Yes, that's true. Uh, yeah, thank you. Because it, it is true, like we knew that when we started that there might be, you know, repercussions, retaliation, reprisals. And we, that's why we vowed anonymity and we, you know, we committed to, to being careful. And, um, you know, the GTI decided to, uh, as the pressure had been mounting, right, like, as we were saying, since May and then June and July, the pressure has been growing. The the reach has been growing. Social media, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been hearing. The whispers have been turning into screams, into roars, you know, from all over, like you said, from all over the country, from all over this state, you know, and it's also Cresco workers and Medman workers and, you know, um, Marano. I mean, all, a lot of different workers have been speaking up right and speaking out and organizing and this is just creating this wave of like hey conscious consciousness and uh especially with the police murder on in june of george floyd it it to all of us workers it's connected because you know 
the history of this country and the history of uh, big business and and uh, and corruption and um, you know the the destructive forces of like capitalism and really in all reality the irrational the irrational uh, behavior of a lot of corporations because you just you just mentioned it like if we have happy workers and well compensated workers which is which is very doable considering our financial uh, success right, <laughs> right. And health. I mean, if you, if a company has shares that success, which it ought to do, right? Because labor and workers are key to that success. Then, of course, there's going to be what you know, a lot more, a lot more joy, a lot more productivity. There's gonna, I mean, happy workers are a key to driving. If if that's what we want to discuss, is um, is 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 uh, is what a lot of corporations hold sacred, right? Is that bottom line? Well, it's it's a very easy fact that happy workers equal higher higher uh, sales, higher profits. You know, happy happy employees drive sales. Happy employees equal happy patients, equal happy clients, right? I mean, in a very straight, you know, look at Trader Joe's, right? They're a tiny little store, but they have a culture of happiness and how they treat each other and how they treat employees and 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 customers that that is what drives their sales right and uh and 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 it, and it's given back in the form of higher wages significantly higher wages uh better protections you know all of these things so we so we always said that to to that was our response hey this is not a this is not something that we're doing against this is something we're doing for ourselves and if you trust us as you say you do right because we're the ones that drive the thing the the store right we're the ones that drive the business uh we we are we have our we have our ear to the ground we're the heart and soul of that company of any company right and if they if they would listen and respect our um very 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 rational um you know uh asks right are very rational and uh totally ex- and executable, you know, requests, right? For profit sharing, for for compensation, all of that. We would they would see a much better return on their own bottom lines and um and what they call the needs of the business too. Right? We d- we do not consider the needs of the business and the needs of workers to be like incompatible. You know what I mean? Like who whoever makes that up, that's why we realized that man what is the real reason that they're so against workers? It cannot be from an economic standpoint because we don't believe it makes any sense on that standpoint. So, so we feel like that there is something else that drives this behavior, right? Whereas it's, it's something else. It's, it's a narcissism and like, it's, it's that narcissistic spirit of capitalism, right? Where they don't, they don't want us to see, they don't want to see workers unless they have that power over us right like absolute power and uh and that was that was really something that was um was key in how they took retaliation towards me right like uh all of my reviews have been top right the highest possible markings i've gotten right i've been i've been um a leader in that store since uh for 2 years right and uh 
and been integral in creating a store culture and a store environment that was healthy and uh, really, really helped um, to, to drive um, that turnaround, right? And where, and it wasn't just me, like we're saying, it was, it was a key uh, spirit of, of a lot of us that felt, hey, we're not going to leave because we can leave or we can make this place a better place for everybody. And that's what we wanted to do. And we committed to that. So then GTI decided to, uh, on July 17th, to send me a letter of termination um, based on false accusations, right? And we and, and uh, I had shared that with the team, and I said, "Wow, they've they they took retaliation, right? Like this is what's happening, and they're going to try to use this against our organizing." So yeah. effective, yeah, July seventeenth, they uh, GTI fired me, and uh, and we immediately, you know, came out with the statement saying, "Hey." We felt that this might be a possibility, and we're not going to be deterred. And it just it just goes to show that you know GTI corporate uh, would rather would rather act um, you know in bad faith and be a bad actor and and uh, retaliate against workers and retaliate against you know um, you know the spirit of improvement, right? And and uh, and um, and really the spirit of love, because we've always designated, we've always talked about our, our organizing as a labor of love. And we've never had that like uh, antagonistical uh, methodology or way of being, right? Not to our patients, not to each other, not to the staff, not to management. We have always been respectful. And so we said, hey, because, you know, how can we not be? We love this plant. And we were like, you know, that's not really in us to be uh, violent or antagonistical, right? So, so we, we were like, wow, okay, they've stooped to a new low, right? They've retaliated and they've, um, they're using, um, you know, they're using that, that, that power to fire people and, uh, hope in the hopes that this is all just going to go away. And, uh, you know, we're here to say that it's not, it's not going away because, you know, uh, the spirit that's been taken over this country since, uh, that those voices, right is is amazing like all these people from everywhere workers and community members alike patients have been saying hey you're not going to hold this is not okay anymore i mean it's never been okay but we're we're um people are united more than ever before to say hey you can't do this to the plant you can't do this to workers like um you don't because it's not even necessary and 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 you know what if you feel that you know you gti and other other operators like cresco and other people feel that uh that you can do these things and that people are going to still support you with their loyalty and with their money well you have another you have another thing coming like this is that's not realistic like they can't like no matter how many times they rebrand like in vegas they're rebranding their essence gti is rebranding their um essence stores as cookies um they rebranded you know rhythm it's a constant um because since 2014 gti has uh, this is the thing we're seeing that we're getting letters from other people in Illinois that have worked for GTI in 2014, 15, 16. And it's really been the same story that that corporate has always been this way, right? GTI has always uh, mistreated their own workers, right? They're the rank and file, right? I mean, this GTI has a history of mistreating people and GTI has a history of suing states and suing cities when they don't yeah. get their way. 
Right? Well, and if you or might say so their... yourself, I mean, I know you may not want to say this, but they're pretty good at it. You know, they, yeah. they, by that, I mean, they employ outrageous tactics to get what they want. I'm not saying what they're doing is right, but like the side, you know, moving people around to management so that they no longer have a voice saying, you know, you're an ag worker, so you don't get a voice mm-hmm. because you are afforded different benefits, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. It's they, they are very, they are very powerful and they wield their power and their influence very strategically, well, I wonder, right? The thought is, I wonder if they've been stifling this this type of movement for a while, and I'm wondering if you guys are the, I mean, you guys are, you're not stopping, so I'm wondering if you're going to be the first to, to keep the battle going, and I like what you're doing, keeping keeping your fellow coworkers anonymous, because if they're going to employ those tactics, like, don't don't give away your, the you know, the hand that you've been dealt, you know, keep playing it, because you got a strong hand here. Thank you. Yeah, we we've committed to to not faltering and to saying, you know what, we're stronger than this. And yes, correct. They do have GTI does have a lot of legislative lobbying power and a lot of lawyers and a lot of money and a lot of influence. But we we believe and we've we've also seen and experienced that greater is the power of the people. You know, greater is the power of our own voices and our own ability to spend our money where we want, right? And that's and we feel like the our voices and our dollars and our influence and our own power and our agency is is stronger than than the uh, insecure. We we consider their power a weakness. Like GTI is showing weakness right now and it's showing insecurity because we feel um, that. What they're doing is not necessarily necessary, and it's not conducive to what they say their mission is. Right? Yes, it's it's um, purely hypocritical. They they talk about investing in the community, investing in their own people, and they're almost arguing in this sense that the union would only help the union workers. But that's been shown time and time again to not be true. I mean, you can look at a policy from or a paper from Economic Policy Institute that shows. Higher union density has historically led to higher pay among non-union workers. So it's an investment, you know, that would benefit them in the long run. If your workers are happier, the work environment's healthier, you know, people are having a good time. People want to be at work. People want to show up at work. Can you say, like, how many people can say that? And being a multi-billion dollar company, you have the ability to invest. You have the ability to say, do what you say you're doing. That's what's sad that they're so hypocritical in so many different ways, and uh, I think you've done a great job at illustrating that. Really, thank you. And, and we feel like this is very tied to to what's been happening in our country, right? Like, where, as you mentioned in the beginning, there's another reason that GTI does it, and it's to continue to hold that stranglehold over the markets. That's right, right? Because if this company is is intent on the real bottom line being limiting limiting each market that it enters right so GTI is in over 12 in well 12 states right now uh, over 1700 employees um and each state they're trying to limit the market like severely so that no you know it's very almost i mean super very difficult for anyone else to enter and become uh, an app you know be awarded licenses and be able to compete against GTI right so um, you know, every state that GTI has entered has seen the, this, uh, this, um, this like uh, obsession with limiting the market and suing 
And, um, you know, they sue a lot of states to get those, those licenses and get their foot in the door and then strangle that, you know, to keep a stranglehold over that market and the, uh, and the supply, right? The inventory supply, the, the whole market supply, right? And um, so we see like it connected to the way that GTI also employs its uh, political uh, and legal resources, right? And so um, that is very, very, uh, that has to be a part of our messaging because right now we're seeing all over their GTI social media and public uh, announcements, they keep talking about social justice, equity, you know, um, their their commitment to to righting the wrongs and being a part of the solution in our country uh, when it comes to um, systemic racism and and uh, and re- and oppression, and uh, we're 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 very clear in that uh, GTI is actually working to the contrary, you know, because uh, a, a company that that um, does not allow does not a Number one, um, pushes pushes these opportunities, limits the opportunities on purpose, so that so that people in each state cannot actually enter into a very financially rewarding industry, right? As as owners right. and operators, then then that kind of what does that do? It pushes people to be what workers, and if as we've already been discussing, the way that they treat workers is not conducive to a, to a standard standard of living that is sufficient that continues to create poverty and um and uh suffering amongst the residents and communities of this country right like it is it is directly tied to the ills of our nation right so so we're always saying that in our messaging hey we know you're not about the communities and we know you're not about the um the black and brown communities the lgbt this is all a part of their public image, right? And so we're 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 saying, hey, you can parade all of the people you want on your on your social media, but we know that when it comes to 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 what's necessary, they will not take the proper actions to actually um, to to put to put their words, what they say into action because that goes against their bottom line. That goes against this monopoly. Well, this oligarchy, right? It's a, it's a, it's a creating an oligarchy, right? It's yeah. creating a, they call it oligopolistic markets, right? That, that term of limited market is, uh, yeah. is, uh, is an oligarchy. And that's like, wow. So, so, you know, it's very important for us to say both um, because we believe that cannabis, cannabis again is such a beautiful plant and it's not just GTI, you know, we were seeing, uh, for example, last week, uh, Cresco, um, essentially closed down their their grow operation in Joliet, right? Did you hear about that? I did not. I did not. Tell me more. Yeah. So, uh, Cresco Cresco workers are awesome. You know what I mean? Like they they too, and there's in their dispensaries and in their grow, they've been right alongside us and saying, "Hey, we want." I mean, we need to change. So. They yeah. they've they've been successful with their union drives. They both uh, in Joliet and at uh, Sunnyside Dispensary. They've uh, effectively um, uh, elected a union, and now it's into negotiation, right? And uh, and every step of the way, GTI is fighting, fighting, and uh, taking. I mean, I'm sorry, Cresco is retaliating against them, right? Against their own workers, 
So in Joliet, the strongest unit, the strongest, um, the strongest uh, workers that remain unified were the grow workers. They were the strongest, and uh, wow. and Cresco uh, designated them again as farm workers, ag workers, to to leave them out of the bargaining unit, to leave them out of the uh, benefits of a union contract, and then not only that, but just last week, uh, they they said, hey. It's essentially it's your last week as growers as anything, right? They're they're closing that down, and uh, they feel, all of them feel that it's in direct retaliation and reprisal because of their organizing and their unity. So um, essentially, Joliet's going to be a packaging facility now, right? Joliet Cresco, and uh, it's important to note that in Illinois, people cannot be silent and not get away with these relationships that they want to. They want to have and benefit from, for example, Illinois women and cannabis. Hey, it's time to say something, to do something, because look, they're, they're top, their board, the members of the board and their founders and their, you know, second in charge. And they're all, most of them are tied to GTI and Cresco, right? Interesting. And so, and so uh, Dina Roman and all these other, you know, uh, you know, Charlie Bachelet's sister, Vanessa, like, hey, uh, neutrality is not really, we don't feel neutrality is appropriate right now, especially in the environment that we're in. Um, because Illinois Women in Cannabis stands for a lot of beautiful things too, right? And, and they're directly connected and provide, we feel, provide a cover for the, for the, for, for GTI and Cresco. And we're like, hey, this is, this is not okay. People have to, people have to choose to make a stand and stand with the people who um, are right, right, and who yeah. are who are suffering, and who want to see these real, real positive changes, not these um, these like uh, these spoken about changes where people get to benefit from, really, and just tying back to what you started with, and and saying, hey, what what kind of industry are we gonna are we gonna make? What kind of I don't even like to call it an industry, but I guess that's what we're calling it. But what what are we gonna do with cannabis in our country when it's still when it's still criminalized, right? When it's still illegal, and when only when uh, when only essentially people with a certain income bracket um, are benefiting from from the sale of it and the and the distribution of it, right? And uh, meanwhile, people are still um, in jail because of this, because of that, um, because of their love for the plant and their involvement with the plant. And people have uh, have been targeted, right? Historically. Um, by by wars, you know, by our countries, um, so, you know, systematically been targeted, right? And so, and so, I don't know. I know it's it's saying a lot, but it really isn't. It's very simple. Like if workers are going to not be given that respect and dignity, uh, it only it only it only is spread out to the community, right? Where companies that don't respect even even their own employees, or they're certainly not going to respect the communities that they operate in. They're not going to respect the plant. They're not. So essentially, we're saying, let's free the plant. You know, that's our basic messaging. We got to free the plant and we got to free each other because uh, we need, we want significantly more applicants to be, you know, regular people. You know what I mean? Like from the general yeah. population. What's up with that? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <how> can, <laughs> this is, this is so strange that the people who are getting licenses, have have been the people who right like i don't know what, what are your thoughts about it being that? 
it's it's crazy. I mean, they basically legalized an industry for themselves. Like you said, I was actually stunned to see. I thought you were just saying this, like, I thought you were just saying this, but literally on GTA's website, they call their, uh, what do they say? This is Prohibition 2.0. Our role is what we call Prohibition 2.0. And I just think that's absolutely crazy because you just think about prohibition and the the trajectory it took. And um, I mean, ultimately though, this is where I find fault a big problem with it. Uh, Cannabis was made illegal to um, it. it, We were looking for a way to lock up minorities as a country. I mean, just to be candid. Um, And I mean, to quote Nixon, I think he said the brownies smoke it. So I can't remember exactly what he says, but he sounds something very, very racist. And I guess my point is, is this was all started to target and disproportionately affect people of color and minorities. And it has. And those same people that have been targeted and, you know, disproportionately affected have still no chance to, to get into this industry. And the people that were targeting and disproportionately affecting those minorities have a license in their hand. That's just crazy to me. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier is that, you know, these big companies, these, I mean, hey, let's bring up Cool Gay Ant again. At Cool Gay Ant on Instagram, she's got an awesome picture of all of the leaders of the uh, of the cannabis companies in Illinois. And what one thing you'll notice is that it looks like a portrait. And by that, I mean, it's white, white faces, um, a lot of white faces, not a lot of color in that picture. And, uh, you know, one of those things, one of the things that these uh, white faces lobbied for was the delay of uh, 75 dispensary license. And actually today, the Chicago Tribune reports that the state has cleared one of the last hurdles keeping those 75 dispensary licenses awarded. They announced that they adopted permanent tie-breaking rules and can move forward in uh, awarding dispensary licenses. I I just want to bring up some numbers really quick to show you why... You know, we're talking about um, we're talking about maximum profits and maximum expansion, right? And this is what GTA's GTI's game is. And so, as it stands now, they've got ten dispensaries out of sixty. That means they've got twenty percent of the of the uh, stores under their control. Um, as Grown In is reported, they've got twelve point three percent of the cultivation mar- uh, market controlled, which is a chunk. I mean, that's that's 30% basically collectively of the market that is theirs, the vertical integration, you know? And so um, I think it just shows you why they wanted to delay these licenses first, first and foremost, because if you delay the license, that achieves the mission. Remember, maximum profits, maximum expansion. As soon as those 75 licenses get awarded, their 20% of market control on the stores goes down to 7% because you can only have a maximum of 10. So if there's like over 100, I think it's 130, you know, divide that by 10, that's about 7%. And so um, don't quote me on those numbers. I did the math beforehand and it's right. So you can you can do the math and, and prove me wrong if you'd like. We, you just always email us at the Chillinoy Podcast. So um, I wanted to go through those numbers, though, because it just reinforces everything that you're saying. Maximum profits, maximum expansion. And with all that said, you know, they're, they're hitting their targets. They're getting their goals. We're seeing the industry boom. CNN did an article the other day. Again, we were, you were talking about it earlier and I mentioned it, but uh, 
the cannabis industry is one of the booming industries still in the state of Illinois. And with all of that said, you'd think they'd be able to honor their mission, which is to invest in their own people, you know, to bring it full circle. So, yeah, um, thank you. Thank you for saying all that, because um, I mean, that's in, that's super included. As we've been as we've been, you know, writing in all of our. Um, you know, I wish I could I could uh, list all of our articles, but we've written articles on uh, <clears throat> online magazines such as GoSamples.com. Okay. And, uh, you know, if you if you if people want to go on our Instagram, there's links to all of our writings. And I could also, um, you know, say I think um, <clears throat> the GoSamples.com article we wrote is uh, it touches upon all of that. Right. If they just if people just look up like 3C Naperville workers gozamos uh, g o z a m o s dot com they'll see our they'll see our article and it and it really links you know hyperlinks to a lot of things that have um uh, come to pass right when when uh, adult use licensing in illinois is a, is a originally intended to be uh social equity social equity driven right it's mm-hmm. um it's a revolving around the, the what you just well, you already said it, right? Is to is to is to be a part of that history that rights wrongs and say, hey, you know what? Yes. If the communities most affected by the war on drugs and and uh, and systemic racism, and uh, you know systemic oppression in this country, let's let's give that uh, the this new these new licenses ought to be um, awarded to the people most disproportionately affected by that exact by those policies right and um unfortunately in the state of illinois we've seen you know a lot of people are upset right now because we consider number one the 75 social equity licenses not to be enough right so if you look at other states such as um what is that i think uh other states have like a one-to-one, right, where they'll release like one license for the general public, one license uh, to be for uh, from the for a, an applicant that's a social equity applicant, right? Yeah. And we we feel that in order to be just and honest with that spirit of the law, they should have never included designation number three into our social equity policy, right? Designation number three states that you can have, you can award the one of the uh, social equity licenses can be awarded. To people who actually are not owned and operated by members of of these communities that are most affected, right? Essentially, black and brown people. As long as you have them as members of like, you know, some members of the board or some members of the employees, then you can still you can still be awarded that license, right? So that that goes against the original spirit of that entire entire um, policy, right? Um, and 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 holding back all these licenses is um, is so is so tragic because since May, right? How much? How many millions of dollars have people made? Have these uh, have these uh, operators already made? Right. Right. And um, and like it's it's just it's uh, it goes against you know, and there's a lot of different numbers out there that people are talking about, but essentially, um, the consensus is that the communities most affected ought to have um, a greater representation of licenses, right? Even in like a state like Colorado, where there's uh, considerable licenses and growers, 
even there, the so the social equity policy is is uh is uh, non-existent, right? There's like one black-owned dispensary in Colorado, maybe two. Yeah, that was and the so, thing that Illinois was really commended on is that we were were having a focus on this social equity. Seemingly, though, that's the one thing that we at the Chill Night Podcast have always been transparent about. Uh, really, with coordination with Mike Malcolm, who is a who is applying for some of these dispensary licenses, and he's also just applied for a cultivation license. What we always say is that the provisions of the bill look good, except you know, with exception to that rule number three that you're talking about, because we can always see how that's going to be warped. Um, but the the rules look good, but it really remains to be seen, you know, and in these tiebreaker rules that were made today people don't really still even know how those work and i don't know if they're going to release those publicly or not um but just on a note of uh transparency and uh in the industry you were talking about you know one one license to one social equity client and some of these candidates in some of these other states you know we we're talking about how dispensaries uh you know you can only have a maximum of 10 license or uh, 10 dispensaries open if you are a company so gti's hit their max right um up until now and i believe even still i don't think you can actually query that information like you can't submit a foia to see who's actually on those licenses so um this is something that i know grown in has started to look into i might be wrong on this one um but uh, that's just an added element of like, why isn't there transparency in this industry? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I think Massachusetts is the one that has a one-to-one and that's, and that, you know, that's starting somewhere, but we believe like if, it, if we really want to have a, like, as, as you just said, in the state of Illinois, uh, a social equity cannabis policy, I think the numbers need to look, I think we can all agree that the numbers need to look, uh, the ratios have to be a lot different. Like, maybe more of like a 20 to one, right? There's already 20, yeah. how many, 20, 21 licenses. Uh, right. And if we say 20 to one, then that means the next 400, right? The next the next 400 licenses ought to be given out to the communities most affected, right? The applicants from the community most affected. I mean, I think that would be a start, right? I mean, not just me personally. Again, I, a lot of the discussion that's been going on within our communities, um, is saying, hey, if we're going to be true to what we said on paper, a one-to-one is not enough, right? It has to be way better. And uh, designation number three, was it, it just goes against the spirit of the law, right? Like, what is that? So it just yeah, opens well, the door. What it is, is I think that these companies fit, they, again, I think I kind of alluded to this earlier, GTI, you know, not only do they have a require, they basically they have this investment that they've made. You know, they've got this opportunity to, you know, offer a I'm saying in quotes an incubator program where they yeah. finance you and everything else. But really, ulteriorly, I, I, their ulterior their ulterior motive, sorry, um, is to own you and control you and to expand their market share again, maximize profits maximum expansion i think that's the only reason they're investing in them is because not only do they have a legal obligation to but they've also got like that's the only other way at this point that they can maximize their profits and maximize their expansion and that's all it's about it's not about investing in the communities you know what i mean yeah so it, it just allows another another way to get to be, to have a piece of the 
those sexual, the social equity license, the, the social equity companies, right? The, yeah. These other, these new companies and have a control over the inventory. For example, like the, the craft grow licenses are horribly limited. What is it like? How much is the square footage they're allowed to have? Um, I can pull it up here in just a second, but basically it's not profitable. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's the best way of putting it. Um, I've been talking to a few different companies that are trying to figure out ways to make it profitable. But if you think about that, it, that way, it's like, yeah, somebody that's disproportionately affected, there's just no way they're going to be able to make it profitable, which, yeah. yeah, that's just messed up. You know, it's just messed up. Why would you make something that, and, and if you look at the way that the cultivators have set up, uh, I can't remember who we talked to where we found this information out. I, uh, you know, I'm not pulling it out of my ass. I was told this and it was on the Chillinoy podcast. Um, I don't believe the current cultivators have any limits on square footage. And it's just weird that craft do. I mean, I understand wanting to, you know, honor the tradition of craft, which is the idea that you're a smaller scale. You know, you're talking about nano brewers earlier. Um, you want to honor that idea, but like, come on, you, you're not even making it to where they can profit. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, da, da. Craft Row like is 5,000 square feet of flowering canopy, I think. I mean, yeah, good luck, right? It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's that's foolish. I mean, that's like setting, yeah, setting them up to not be able to compete, you know, and um, not being able to keep up with inventory while, while um, the growers right now can expand. You know, they're expanding, expanding, and, um, you know, just talking about the new facilities and that, and this, the way that we, the way that we're almost just taking this, taking that discourse as like what has to be. I I feel like the more that we as as uh, just the people in general hold up the hold up the truth that policies can be amended, right? Uh, right. Policies can be changed and ought to be like this. Those policies are not good enough. Like uh, if if you can have um, if you can have those loopholes where as long as you sign up minority stakeholders, you can have you too can have a social equity license. And what is that? You know, that's yeah. like, I mean, that's like brown. You know, like that's that's just waiting for a legal list, a legal a loophole that that creates um that that uh it's counter counter uh, directly countering everything that someone wanted to you know set this I up almost for. Right? Wonder- if we need some sort of third party disparity study, cause everybody's banking on this, on this disparity study coming out of Illinois. Um, you know, I think even toy Hutchinson talked about it today or yesterday. She mentioned mm. that, you know, this, these licenses were getting closer to being talked about and that, you know, of course the other thing that's coming out is the disparity study. And it's like, well, if the States handled the things that if the state has handled things the way they have and look, we've got legal cannabis. So, I mean, but like you say, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Can't. And and I, people get on me about this all the time, but cannabis really isn't legal. They made it legal for themselves to sell and they're treating their workers like shit in the meantime. And, you know, it's interesting is that, like I say, they don't have a limit on um, expansion. So, 
in, what they're doing is they're playing a game. They decided to put their investments into expansion of the cultivation center instead of paying their customer or their sorry their employees for what it's what they're worth. You know, I think that's the the balance that they've made, and it shows that uh, they're lot. I mean, they're not true to their mission. Which again, you know, they're talking about investing in their own people. I think they're investing in their own company and they're doing whatever they can to maximize profits and maximize their expansion and to control the cannabis industry in the United States. I mean, they're the one, one of the biggest cannabis companies in the United States. They're publicly traded, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and so, I mean, they're not fucking around. People we, are we, we, that was very, we needed to put those numbers out on our, on our, um, on our statements. You know, we, <clears throat> we started a petition on change.org that has uh, about almost 800 signed signatures. Hey, do me a favor uh, and uh, share that with me. I don't mean to cut you off, but share that with me. And folks that are listening, check the podcast description, because if you're listening to this podcast right now, I've put that link in the description for you. So you can sign up for this petition. Please describe the petition. I'm sorry I cut you off. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, we started it back in April. That first, I would say the first week or two in April when we when we decided to uh, to go through our, to to uh, unionize and also we started it originally to gain support of uh, for the curbside only right because again GTI did not want to do it I mean they went so far as to tell one of our workers the management told one of our workers that uh, they would not close down they would not do curb they would not implement GTI would not implement curbside only until one of us got sick. You know, until one of our patients or one of our employees got sick. So that was that where we was really. The, wow. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't. That's just, that is, unbe- I, I'm, don't take this the wrong way, but that's unbelievable. Exactly. And that, and that, that's why we were so hurt because we were so hurt by, by that, uh, that happened the last weekend of March. And that's when we realized that and we talked about it it's all in our petition and it's got like six of has like six updates and i apologize in advance for all of the reading but uh hey you can always take it piece by piece right but um we we were we were um determined to write everything down and record everything week by week uh to have a record and to to garner public support right which we feel was totally doable so we were like hey who wouldn't want to support us who wouldn't want to support this? And so when we realized that GTI was that, you know, stubborn and um, and almost, well, basically narcissistic, right, that we couldn't believe it. We were like, wait a minute, what do you mean you don't want to, you cannot possibly wait for us to get sick. You know what I mean? Like, that's not an acceptable, this is not an acceptable uh, line in the sand for us, you know? Right. Um, Right, because so we again, you guys are immunocompromised. It's not that like, oh, let's just you know, if if Sean gets a flu, if Sean gets the sniffles for a few days, yeah, then we'll then we'll talk about it. But Sean could die. <laughs> like this is the game they're playing, you know? Yeah, and look what happened in July when we actually had an exposure. This is when this is when you know things really took a second wind in july when we there was an exposure made of COVID 19 at our dispensary we were looking at gti corporate and management and seeing okay this is this is an opportunity to see if you're going to say if you're going to do what you say and when that exposure happened it was july 3rd 
And it was it was so sad because GTI was adamant about not doing the right thing, right? So when that exposure was made, we were thinking, okay, hey, are you going to shut this place down? Let's do the right thing. Let's sanitize. Let's shut it down for for a week or three days, even three days, right, to sanitize and um, get everyone tested and do the right thing, right? Because of, as you as you keep, um, you know, bringing up and thank you is everybody there is a patient, right? Ha- immunocompromised or has people at home that they go home to, right? Which is the way that this um, virus, the coronavirus spreads uh, and it's very deadly because let's say someone makes it or just has it on their clothes, well, you, then they have to go home to whoever is at home, right? And uh, and spread it there. So it, it's been something that, it was something that was so unbelievable that GTI would not close the store down, not even for three days to sanitize. And um, we really, we really uh, were shocked that they didn't even tell like there was no statement made for for patients to be notified, so we were like, you know what, we have to write this on our petition, and we did, and we put that on the Instagram and everything as well. It was, um, and then we just kept going and saying, hey, you know what, uh, how are we going to put our loyalty and our faith in a company that time and time again um, goes against, you know, basic basic de- basic human decency, right? So. That's what was. That's what became. That's this is what's been so um, hurtful, is the uh, is like their total um, their hard line when it comes to stuff like that, right? Like why wouldn't a company do the right thing, right? And so you know that's all in our petition, like we said, and I'll and I'll give you that link. But again, I know it's hard to believe, but it 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 uh it was harder for us to believe because as Again, as people who are there every day, well, at least five or six days a week, we we believed in the company. We believed in their in their in their discourse. We believed in that they would take they would take the appropriate actions to keep us safe and to keep uh, our patients safe. But when 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 time and time again um, we're told that, well, you know what, the business needs come first. Like that was that was a very difficult line to to hear and it's told every day right so so when you understand um you know uh the way that this affects a person's psyche right to be told every day well you know the business needs and hey today we made this much money and today so totally not like um having like this agreement right this unspoken agreement not to discuss COVID-19 not to discuss um real the real issues in our community, right? Um, it's like we're, we were uh, we were instructed not to discuss uh, George Floyd. We were instructed not to discuss the, um, the 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 frustration of the community and the people. Like this is real, and we were like, wait, th- this is not something that we can just um, to ignore, right? And is our this affects our health and safety, and this affects our community. So. It was uh it was very it's a very stifling um environment and so we we didn't want to be that way we said well we're gonna have to keep telling the truth somehow and we will I mean for our own um self preservation inside of that facility we're not going to discuss it because of course that would leave us open to getting terminated right so we we had to like stay cool and quiet 
but in our open um in our in our in our public uh articles and in our interviews we're like hey let's tell the truth because that's our only outlet for truth and uh, unfortunately that's this is our only outlet right um our petition and our articles have been the only place right and uh that's why we're so grateful that little by little uh it would be one thing if it was just our store right and just our worker experience within that place but we've been getting we've been getting um messages and art and um and phone calls from GTI workers specifically from all over the state and all over the uh all over the country and that and not only GTI workers but even other um operators even other employees with other operators who have to do business with uh, or, or work in close proximity to GTI they they are writing it's just a beautiful thing to 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 receive these writings right and these messages saying hey uh we believe what you're saying to be true like we believe what you're doing is right please keep doing it because um you're giving us other you give not only is it valid because of our own experience so that's been great to to um that's been morally is you know uh encouraging and uh it's just so we want to we want to thank all those people that are that are that have been doing that right and uh continue to speak up within their own facilities specifically GTI but not not just GTI like uh uh about 2 weeks ago we saw um in New Jersey Verona New Jersey that uh one of the community residents and also an organizer with UFCW had had uh made a made a call to the city council and said hey um i know you're considering working with GTI but you should probably investigate how they've been how they've been operating in states already right like in new jersey hey, and other good yeah. shit and when they saw that when when uh and verona decided not to continue working with GTI that was the i believe just this week Verona, New Jersey decided to cease cease negotiations and, and uh dialogue with GTI, right? So um but I you know not to deviate from our conversation, but um it's all connected, right? Like in order to 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 keep to the issues at hand, it's been encouraging to see how um uh, if we're gonna be workers in this industry and uh there's nothing wrong with that, right? There is a is you know it could be a platform and a and uh a place to learn and to grow into other seg- segments of the industry and um but we just want to say in all humility that if we're going to be workers in this industry then we ought to be treated with uh you know with 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 respect and dignity and have and we feel that the only way to have that kind of kind of um have that truly truly be real is to have a union and uh and and also as you've been discussing um we want to see we want to see those licenses and and this is a this is an appeal to the state officials too and and that uh we don't feel that their hands are tied when it comes to this matter right like we want to put we want to put the spotlight on our state officials too and say hey uh you can you can you can change this policy to be a policy that is more equitable and more uh well socially equitable right and more accessible for that uh people to be owners and operators too right and not just people with um not yeah not just as it has been right with these with this huge um this huge uh 
demands on people, right? And I, I think that's the best example is to say, if if little if little beer companies can exist, then in in a highly regulated um, industry which is alcohol, then uh, if you know if you can be a nano brewer and put your kegs in your back seat and take it down to the local bar or to the local yeah. liquor store then we be, we believe that it's not that difficult to to amend our cannabis policy and make it more accessible and of course like it's not the same as beer in that in that uh we want to we want to be true to what we've already said is like make it accessible to the communities that have been most impacted by our um country's you know targeting of the, you know basically our drug wars right like in the way that um as you said in the beginning, why was cannabis targeted? Well, it was a policy of a, uh, it was a policy, it was an, a policy of injustice and uh, racism, and um, a lot of people, a lot of people that are still alive, uh, have suffered because of that, right? Specifically, uh, black and brown communities, right? Like that are still living with that, um, those inequalities and the high rates of incarceration and uh, what that incarceration means when, you know, it boils down to you have a record and your access to uh, employment and they're in access to a, a standard of living that is, um, that honors, you know, the dignity of life, right? So it goes back to full circle and a lot of people obviously cannot be owners and operators there, right? We have millions of presidents and we, uh, how many people applied for those social equity licenses, right? Over 4,000. Yeah. Over 4,000 groups of people, right? Because it was uh, 4,000 applications, right? And each application had a group behind it. So that just yeah, goes Yeah, because you're through. not going to be, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to be a small guy getting into it still, you know, especially the craft growing like we were talking about Um yeah, but you're yeah you're talking about the four thousand. Yeah, you're not going to be a small person. So, like you say, it's mostly groups. Just trying to clarify one of what you were saying there. Yeah, and no matter what, even within all of those groups, right? We have to discuss this too, and like all of the licenses that are coming out, we have to be clear. And what are what are our what are our what will our relationships look like with each other as owners and workers, right? And uh, if we want to be true to to the legacy, you know, to the to the spirit of uh, this plant and uh, cannabis, and also to the spirit of uh, what we're doing right now in our country, and saying, "Hey, we want, we don't want the American nightmare, right? We want, we want something different, and we believe that we can have that. We just have to work towards it, and um, and that looks like that looks like new and improved relationships, like relationships built on real equity, real inclusion, real justice." and respect, right? And so whatever, whoever gets those licenses, whoever gets, you know, any part of that, uh, we want to see that, uh, that respect for the, for, for, um, for workers, for the working, for the working community, for people to, because, uh, as we already know, um, there's a lot of inequality and suffering within the state, right? And we, and we need to see, I mean, I hate that we still have to talk about this, but people, we want to blame poverty on people, right? Oh, just pull yourselves up from your bootstraps. Like if you're poor or homeless, it's almost like, 
or does it it's almost like it's discussed as well that's your so, fault yeah right? yeah here's the thing i i was i was wait i was gonna yeah jump in on this because i'm totally with you there and just to because we are the chillinoy podcast we're not just a podcast for you know any certain area we're for the whole state of illinois right so to break it down for people that maybe don't understand what we're talking about because let's be honest that exists right people don't understand and, and they might there's there's debates about it and everything else but it what it boils down to is that they don't understand um what we're talking about when we talk about like righting the wrongs of our past and so let me just break it down by numbers okay so 1960s right when when we we uh passed um civil rights you know the civil rights movement or whatever um that was just about 60 years ago so my dad's about that age my dad is about that age and so with that in mind my grandpa what i'm trying to show you guys is that the formation of this country i can probably i can probably trace it back five people in my family back to 1776 it was only like you know, so people live up to 75 years. So let's think about this 2020 minus 1776, 244 years, 244 divided by 75. I like thinking about things like this. That's about like, so let's say you live to 75 years of age. Everybody in your family lives to 75 years of age, which nowadays is more risk, more realistic if you're healthy and everything else. But let's just say 75. That would be three and a quarter of people ago. So three, basically three people ago, this country was founded. And so if you don't understand, um, like privilege and what we're saying when we're talking about righting the wrongs of our past, it's, it's the idea that yes, things are coming around and we're trying to do things for social equity, but there's residual effects from these policies. If you think about the fact that just 60 years ago, some people got their civil rights. Like I say, my dad is almost that age. And my grandpa, he was almost 80. I'm just making, you know, this is anecdotal, but let's think about if your grandfather just got their rights, like in their lifetime. So your dad, you know, your dad grows up with his rights. He kind of maybe even takes it for granted or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm just being hypothetical. And then it comes to me. Like there's residual effects from that. You know what I mean? Like if you have a grandpa that didn't have his rights, like it, it's not like that grandpa's fucking rich all the time. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there are success stories and that's the American dream. But um, what we're talking about, like, I just like to break things down like that for people, like especially when you put it into numbers like that. Do you feel like that's a good way of like just kind of succinctly describing you know, 60 years, 60 years ago, prohibition was fucking hardcore. Like you were in certain places you were in jail for life for it. You know what I mean? And uh, there are residual effects from that. You know, that's why we're talking about expungements. That's why we're trying to do this social equity thing. And I think one of the thing, the great things you're pointing out is that it's not enough still. Um, but I wanted to take a moment to describe that for our listeners that maybe just don't understand it. You know what I mean? Cause I've read on the community and some people question the social equity measures. And I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, you know? no, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for going into detail because it does deserve that. And, you know, it, that, uh, I mean, we're seeing it every day, right? Like, um, 
people are very upset. People are uh, continuing that that legacy, right? Of uh, of uh, saying, "Hey, we're not finished. We're not finished growing as a nation. We're not finished um, righting a lot of these wrongs. We're not finished um, turning that American nightmare into an actual American dream, an American." Yes. Ex- an American accessible dream, right? Yes, um, there you go. And you know, like, uh, man, it's just so. It's amazing that that uh, I, I believe it was um, just this past year, 2019. I want to say January of 2019, that the families of uh, of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy and um, I believe a couple other people submitted to the U.S. government that we that they want the files released of uh, all of the files that were sealed in regards to their family members' assassinations. Um, they want those files released, and they want an investigation, a congressional investigation, opened on behalf of their families, right? And uh, and and a lot of the the discussion in in Chicago and Illinois, from a lot of uh, communities, right, that 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 bear that legacy of uh, of what you just spoke on, right, of, of slavery, and gen, uh, genocide, slavery, civil rights movement, um, the the COINTELPRO, which is uh, essentially a government uh, counterinsurgency program against its own residents and organization yep. and community organizations, right, that was a uh, Essentially, um, you know, it was these these different counterinsurgency programs uh, designed to treat uh, all these uh, social movements of the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, etc., as enemies of the state, right? Which essentially military targets, right? To infiltrate, neutralize, and destroy, which is what we saw occur, right, with these assassinations, with the uh, the hunting down of the the Black Panthers with the assassination of Fred Hampton, um, you know we could go on and on, right? Uh, the the murder, the assassination of Rudy Lozano. Um, I mean, it's not over, right, Malcolm? So yeah. all these families are are saying, "Hey, that our that work is not done, right? That work of turning what uh, Malcolm X termed, uh, coined the uh, described as the American nightmare." For a lot of people, that's still real, right? And um, the incarceration. Um, I mean, we could go on and on, right? So, so yes. Thank you for bringing that up because those details are uh, are here. Like, though, I mean, th- that reality is still here, and uh, we we are we are um, we believe, right? Uh, you you, I know you believe it, and a lot of and all of a lot of the people in this country, thankfully, still believe that we can we can turn that around. We can make. Um, I think people are pushing for like a truth and reconciliation commission right now, similar to what yeah. happened in South Africa. Yeah. I think a right? lot, I think I'm faithful about the, the direction that we're headed. You know, um, we, I think that um, good things will come out of this. You know, uh, there's a quote that I'm going to butcher, but it talks about basically the, the Liberty tree needs to be watered with the blood of uh, something, something every once in a while. And it's, it's basically the idea that for, in order for good to happen, sometimes bad 
you know, bad happens, not that it has to happen. And I think that, you know, because I, I guess what I'm saying, there's a lot of civil unrest right now with protests and everything else and tensions are high. But I think I hope, I guess, that what comes out of this is some reason, some compassion and some progress, ultimately, um, because I think there's more of a megaphone on these issues than there ever had. Well, think about this. I mean, pro- the protests are they've never been this crazy since the civil rights movement. I think that, you know, you can only keep you can only push people down for so long. And at a certain point, they're not going to stand for it and they're going to they're going to go and they're going to protest because that's, you know, that's America, you know, and we're I hope that these I hope that good comes out of this, I guess. I know I'm all over the place, but I won't lie. I uh, did just spark up uh, some of my homegrown cannabis. Um, so we're just to remind everybody, we're joined with Daniel Corral. I called him David Corral at the beginning of the show. It's Daniel <laughs> Um, and he's, uh, you know, he is helping, uh, in efforts to unionize. Um, I am having trouble wording this, but you're trying to unionize and ultimately help out the employees at GTI. You've got a change.org, um, petition. We've got that in the link of the podcast. I also want to say that, um, you know, if you're looking for, to keep in contact with these, um, discussions and everything else. Um, you can find them on Instagram. It's three C Naperville uh, underscore GTI underscore workers. Uh, we'll put that in the description as well. Um, also, though, if you go on Facebook and look up three C Naperville workers and unity for safety for all, um, I'm going to go ahead and try to throw that into the podcast description. But at the end of the day, if, if uh, I can't like shorten the link or whatever, uh, Facebook, you know what I mean? If I can't shorten the link, we're going to throw the link in the blog. So if you go to chillinois.net slash blog um, and click on the post for this podcast, you'll find links to everything that we're talking about, the petition, the Instagram, the Facebook page. And uh, Daniel, I just want to say that is, uh, I told you this before we actually officially hopped on air. There's an open invitation for you. Always hear the Chillinois podcast. Keep us updated for what's with what's going on. Um, and I appreciate you coming on air today and, and taking the time to tell us about your experience, tell us about your efforts, and uh, al- also telling us how to commute or connect with you guys so that we can keep updated on your efforts and support you through these efforts. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, you all, the Illinois podcast, because, uh, you know, it's just been wonderful to, to talk and to share and to amplify, you know, what's been going on with specifically the cannabis industry in Illinois and specifically the experience of, uh, you know, us workers at 3C Naperville at GTI Dispensary. But, you know, I, I feel like uh want to send a special recognition to all of the workers, right, and all of the people who have been a part of that organizing and a part of the support, uh, you, you all included, you know, um, you know, Lauren of the uh, Cannabis Legalization News and the High Curious Network too, Erica. I mean, there's so many people and, uh, you know, like Anne um, Brum from, you know, Massachusetts and there's so many people that are reaching out and uh, all of the people from Cannabis Equity in Illinois. Uh, there's so many like uh, organizations and groups of people 
that have been working on this, um, on all of the issues, not just with cannabis, uh, but also with uh, justice and peace, right? And, uh, you know, equity and transformation. Um, uh, you know, like a lot of people in the communities. And it's been, uh, it's been encouraging to see the, um, from all of the leadership, right? And just want to uh, send a special thank you to all the people specifically that have been working in our communities to, to make our, not only our communities a better place, but our, our workplaces a better place too. And, and this, I will be honest, even though I'm speaking right now, uh, in our dispensary and in our communities, it's been our experience that the uh, it is a overwhelmingly women-led. You know, that's been the, the courage that we've seen and the outspokenness and the leadership uh, the 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 uh, it's this these movements within within the workplaces and within our communities, especially on the streets, uh, we've we've witnessed right and and that's why I I always say hey I don't speak for myself because this is a very uh, GLBTQ uh, black brown female led movement right especially within our dispensary especially within this industry and, and within our region of Chicago and, and within our state, right? Because like you said, this is an Illinois, Illinois podcast. Like I've seen, and I need to say that, that uh, this is a very, very uh, strong. These are very strong movements and they've been led by uh, courageous women, especially black, brown, GLBTQ, Fam, you know, and and uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that and and acknowledge that and hold that up because uh, that's the truth, and uh, and you know, and we appreciate everybody, right? Just seeing just seeing how many people uh, show love to each other and and special shout out to to you as well for uh, you know because I think it takes everybody, right? It takes the whole community to say um what kind of uh illinois do we want to see what kind of uh what kind of us do we want to see and i think um i think that we can make this place a place where uh everybody every everybody has a place right because uh we're equal and every everyone is uh and i and i think that's why i mentioned that right that all of these families have been uh, want their want the cases of their loved ones reopened and uh, included in that um, included in that legacy of saying you know what we want we want the American nightmare that work to continue of turning the American nightmare into the American to the American future of real of, uh, of of equality and dignity and justice right where where uh, where we can we don't have to have this carceral state we don't have to have a this incessant um, need to have like a military budget, which is what I don't even know, like over eighty percent of our uh, of our budget, right, goes yeah. to our military. And uh, yeah. no disrespect to veterans, because again, we we are very much backed, and we very like I said, uh, no disrespect to veterans, but they they agree. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. It's just fucking crazy. I mean, yeah. hammers that cost five thousand dollars. I you know. 
we won't, that's a whole other, that's a whole yeah. other thing, you know, but, no, but I appreciate you, man. And thank you for your time. And, uh, oh, no, thank you. And what very well said, uh, I really appreciate that. You're like, you make me feel like I literally am blushing, but, uh, you know, again, uh, you're always welcome here. Uh, please, uh, at once we end this call, don't hang up. Cause I do want to talk to you about, uh, just a few things. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, you know, again, you're always welcome on the Chillinois podcast. People that are part of your movement are always welcome on the Chillinois podcast. And I think I can never say it enough. Uh, 3C Naperville Workers in Unity, in Unity for Safety for All on Facebook. And if you're looking for them on Instagram, it's at 3C Naperville GTI Workers. Check out the description for this podcast for, oh my goodness, my cats are fighting. So if you guys are hearing hissing and growling, the cats are in a big fight right now. I'm not going to keep commentating it, but I feel like I'm doing really good at it. Anyways, though, um, uh, check out the podcast description um, for links to the petition, um, link uh, the Instagram handle if I didn't say it well enough. And I'm going to try to get that Facebook link in there. But like I said, if I can't, go to chillinoy.net slash blog, and I'll definitely have all the links in there so that you can get connected with this movement, support it, and uh i think that's what it's all about really so um thank you again uh daniel corral for joining and i want to just highlight how easy it was for you to get on air it's something that we've been trying to do lately because i want people to feel like they can talk about these things right and feel like they've got a microphone so tell can you just recount how you got on this show i I didn't prompt you i didn't tell you i was going to ask you this question i just want to ask you organically how did you get on the chillinois podcast you know, uh, well, you reached out, and uh, it was awesome, right, through our Instagram, uh, through our workers' Instagram, right, and um, it was organic, like you said, because we had been, we had, we've literally, since we've came out publicly, we've been getting, we've been getting different, um, we've been reached out to by a lot of amazing people like yourself, and like just people saying, hey, we want we want to we want to amplify this 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 message this story and um, we we want to support this work right so so you reached out to us um, via via our Instagram and um, and that's how it's been with uh, High Curious and other 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 uh, media social media and podcasts you know just people reaching out and saying um, somehow you know uh, through um, Right through the through the through that uh through that beautiful reach right of uh, of the of uh, of social media people people um found each other and and you found us and then when you just said hey we want to be we want you to be um will you come on our podcast and we 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 made a decision to say yeah and so yeah I mean we really thank you for that and for you to. For you to for um, sure. Well, and really, what yeah. I was going to highlight is the timeline too. I mean, we messaged. I messaged you on Sunday saying, "Hey, you know, I literally just asked you come on our podcast, and you said, yeah, I would love to.'" And I uh-huh. said, uh, "You know, could you share an email?" And you just said, "Well, are you available next week?" And um, I replied, and you were like, "Are you available tomorrow?" <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "I mean, yeah." And so <laughs> I'm just trying to yeah. highlight how easy it is. I mean, if I'm free oh. and and and. Uh, you know, you like either I reach out to you or you guys reach out to me. I'm going to be flexible and I'm going to get you on air. It's all about giving people the power to speak, you know, to the giving you letting your voice broadcast to the airwaves, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, it was super easy. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what we spread the message to other workers because we're getting calls from people from Madman, from Cresco, from a lot of other dispensaries, Verano, and we're saying, you know what, you you can do this. You can do this, and hey, it's so easy. Like you said, um, you know, uh, it, it can be intimidating to to get out there, especially, and of course, there is fear, right, because of you know, real retaliation and real, um, I mean, it's real, right? Like companies are not trying to make any, you know, it's, it's rough right now. But um, if, 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 or if, if you do decide to make that, to make that leap and understand that you're uh, covered under the laws to organize within your workplace and, and also take action together with other workers, that's all right. And, uh, and if companies do retaliate, you know, that's uh, that's that is illegal. It's federally illegal. And and um, but no, just to highlight. Yeah, I agree. It was super easy. I did not. I didn't think it was going to be this fast because I was thinking, OK, next week, maybe. Right. And then I was just like, I don't know, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. it was super easy. And uh, I appreciate you for being um, for being flexible like you are and open and just like super chill and and uh and 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 you know nothing but love to you because that's uh that's you know this is what humanity is about yeah hey man <laughs> nothing but yeah. love right back at you and again i'll just say you're always welcome on the chillinoy podcast shoot us a dm uh email us and this goes for everybody go to chillinoy.net slash podcast and if you scroll down to the be heard there's a button that says be heard and if you click on that um, there's, you have the ability to email us. You can call us. I'm not going to answer, but you can leave us a voicemail and you can text us. I will answer the text message. I have, it, it takes me a while sometimes, but like I just texted somebody the other day, they were asking me questions about, um, you know, CBD and pets. And I was like, Hey, we've actually got an episode about that. But if, if we don't, I'll, I'll talk to you and send you the resources that I have. I'm not a know it all by any means, but I know where to point you sometimes at least to get the right, you know, to the answer you need. So um, wanted to throw that out there to people. And uh, again, the invitation extends to you, Mr. Daniel Corral, or as I called you, David Corral. I, I'm just going <laughs> to, sorry, I hate it when I do that. And uh, this, so my bad, <laughs> but I'm glad that uh, glad we were able to rebound by that. So um, yeah, thank you for hopping on the Chillinoy podcast. Uh, once again, don't, don't exit just yet. Uh, we're just signing off air. So everybody, thank you for listening and we'll see you uh, next time.